Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of the Wakilisha podcast. We are back in studio after so long. And I don't know if these guys are just as excited to see me as I am to see them. Yeah. But yeah, my name is Brian Bright. And I'm Zippy. Liz Jambi. And we are very excited to bring you another episode. This is a very special episode because we are not just doing it by ourselves. We are with uh, the Hague Institute for Innovation in Law. Heal East Africa, and we're bringing a great episode talking about demystifying child sex trafficking, not just with ourselves and Heal, but we also have guests throughout the episodes that you will get to interact with. We're featuring guests from the International Justice Mission, Childland Kenya, and the Sterling Performance Africa. Our guests are Timothy Thondu, who's an attorney at IJM, Margaret Jehia, who's a child therapist at SPA, and John Gotti, who's a child therapist and social worker at Childline Kenya, which runs the Childline Hotline 116, by the way. We look forward to having a great discussion with all our guests. Now, we have tried to do this um, in the past couple episodes or so, and we want to talk about reflections and maybe one thing that each one of us has learned in the past week, or it could be, you know, between the last recording we had and today. <laughs> so In the past few months. The, yeah, we haven't recorded all July. So we can start with you, ZP. Right, okay. Mine is on wildlife. I didn't know that, like cheetahs, when they're young, after six months, they can't retract their clothes. So they do not back here. Okay, oh, wow. so you're more likely to be scratched by a young cheetah than an no, older like one. No, a young cheetah, it has the meaning of retract its clothes. Oh, it can retract? Yes, ah. but after six months, it can. So they're like wolverines. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very clueless on all of this. But yeah, Lizzo was your lesson or reflection. 
Um, mine is all the research that goes into developing a vaccine because I have finally been vaccinated. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I that makes Bright me very happy. Very happy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am a very pro-vaxxer, you know, campaigner. So yeah. Yeah, that does, does make me very, very happy. Yeah, so it's actually a lot of information and a lot of research. Uh, and of course, it's a miracle that we have this one so fast. But go get vaccinated, guys, if you haven't. Yeah, of course. ZP talks about wildlife and it reminded me of something I learned maybe a couple weeks ago. And it's on the northern white rhinos that you might all know that we only have two left in the whole world. Mm -hmm. And there are actually efforts to repopulate them. Mm. I didn't know this was possible. You know, just how we talk about surrogacy in humans. It's actually possible for the white rhinos as well. It gave me hope and, you know, I, I look forward to it being a success because actually it's not a very easy thing, but... It's, starting, it's something that they've started doing at Old Pejeta and I can't wait for us to have more northern white rhinos again. Actually, the conversation was there after the one died in Kenya. Oh, yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. You see, I, I, I had no idea. Wow. And yeah, I am embarrassed. <laughs> can't wait. But... Can't wait to see that. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so moving on swiftly from what you learned, Liz had a conversation prior with our guests and organizing partners on demystifying child sex trafficking. Like, what is it? how it happens, and what challenges. So let's listen in to what we had to say. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this particular podcast recording as we aim to demystify child sex trafficking. I'll give this chance to Morgan from the Hague Institute for Innovation of Law to just welcome us as well. Thank you, Njambi. Hi, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Morgan Gikonyo. I am the Partnerships Associate at the Hill Innovation Hub in East Africa. And today I'm excited to be joined by an amazing group of experts who will be discussing our theme of the day. I won't get much into detail. I'll let the day be carried by the experts who we are honored to have join us today. And yeah, I'll pass it over back to you, Njambi. Thank you, Morgan. So our first guest that we'll be hearing from today is Timothy. Timothy is an advocate of the High Court of Kenya and works as an attorney at the International Justice Mission, IJM. Timothy, what is child sex trafficking? Thank you very much. Um, And it's a pleasure to be here. The definition of sex trafficking and inclusive of the component of a child is defined under various statutes in law. It entails a whole series of activities that end up in what we call trafficking. The first one would be the movement of a child from one place to another for purposes of exploitation by means of either one, threat or use of force, abduction, fraud, deception, abuse of power or position, giving payments or benefits to obtain the consent, giving or receiving payments of benefits to obtain the consent uh, from controlling of another person for purposes of exploiting them in many ways. And I think if you can now break it down to the exploitation, which is what we are talking about today, which is a sexual exploitation, then that would mean that you are taking away this child into a space through all those elements that we've mentioned for purposes of sex exploitation. Just to follow up on that, and I know you're currently based at the coast, and I hope you're feeling much, much warmer than I am. Uh, What causes children to be sex trafficked? From the work that we've been doing here at uh, Mombasa, generally, which is a coastal region, we work in three different counties, which is Kwale, Kilifi, and um, 
Mombasa in itself. And the one major issue that we can attribute sex trafficking to is the prevailing poverty levels that are experienced in this side of the country. Okay, number two, cultural practices that are around here contribute heavily to also sex trafficking. And I can give an example. At the coast especially, you getting a Mzungu, so this is a, either a white tourist who is here for purposes of uh, leisure or vacation, or somebody who lives here but is a white tourist, you getting such a person is um, considered the norm at the coastal area. So girls, especially here, and even boys to some extent, they aspire that when they get to a certain age, then you're given up to these people for purposes of securing a means of livelihood for your families. And this is something that is widely accepted. And if you look through the law, sex trafficking involves child marriages, which is also a very heavy component of what is happening here at the coast. And these are attributed to the fact that the parents sell off their children to any bidding and willing buyer for purposes of marriage so that they can be in turn give back to them in terms of money and the livelihoods. Thank you so much, Tim, for painting such a clear picture. And at this point, I'm going to be turning to Ms. Njehia, who is a child therapist. Ms. Njehia, we've heard about prevailing poverty levels and harmful cultural practices leading children to be victims of sex trafficking. From a child psychology perspective, what would make a child vulnerable to this kind of abuse? Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, number one, the children, and that just makes them more vulnerable by the fact that uh, they're not adults, uh, the fact that they're dependent on other people for everything about them, for their survival and meeting their basic needs. The fact that they're of tender age just makes them vulnerable to anyone because then even as we are talking about uh, child sex trafficking, then we are talking about issues of power and control. The other factors is uh, number one, poverty, like it has been said. Children who are in families or communities that are extremely needy or vulnerable in terms of meeting their basic needs, their education and uh, every other need are more at risk in the sense that uh, it's easy for them to be manipulated and they become even easier target of uh, grooming because most of the abusers will be grooming them by giving them things that uh, go towards meeting their basic need. And then the other factors are the children, for example, who are in need of care and protection, children with disabilities, children with a neglect experience, children who are in the child-headed household, for example, children who are either they themselves have a chronic illness or children who are also growing up in a family where a parent or a significant caregiver or a primary caregiver has a, a chronic illness because then the children have really no one to take care of them and to watch over them. Children who are growing up in the, or who are living in the communities where they are witnessing a lot of violence because of the destabilization that comes with the violence, because of the fact that there is really no one taking care and minding the well-being of the children. And another category of children at risk are the children who are not attending school because then 
they don't have a schedule they don't have very close supervision and while the other children are in school doing something meaningful then these children most often than the not they are just not so busy and not meaningfully occupied and then it's easy for other people to also get to hit at them so a couple of uh, issues or a couple of factors but they are all around the child vulnerability Thank you so much and I just want to circle back to something you said. Mm-hmm. They are vulnerable to grooming. Could mm-hmm. you tell us what is grooming and how does it relate to child sex trafficking? Okay, grooming if we were to just describe it in very simple way is uh, the way someone is going to endear themselves to a child. At the back of their mind they know they are taking advantage of this child. So they will start by just being very friendly with this child and uh, the purpose of them uh, trying to endear themselves is so that the child does not get to pick them as someone who is uh, risky or the children don't get to experience a sense of insecurity and that they are not safe around this person. And it can take as long as uh, the person who is grooming will push it to uh, just trying to ensure that they win the trust and the confidence of this child. And how it relates with it is that this person, this child has already built or uh, developed confidence with this person. So it's easier for this person to take this child away without the child even questioning them without the child even seeing them as a threat and for a groomer they may not necessarily have to use force like someone who is kidnapping a child right now i'm going to introduce john gotti from childline kenya one of the areas in which they are working is on OCSE online child sexual exploitation so john i just like you to speak from that specific niche of online child abuse i think with covid we've seen a lot of us moving our operations online we are now working from home so with this shift i would assume that the cases have spiked but what does it really mean when we talk about online child sexual exploitation thank you thank you jambi you've correctly put it that with covid and uh, with the age of information and technology and also internet perpetrators are uh, are also advanced so someone who wants to traffic a child they will find it safer to approach a child uh, on the internet than a child who knows them like maybe from within their area and like margaret was explaining they would, they would have taken time to build a relationship with this child so by the time they are suggesting that uh, you know this child leaves kisumu to come and meet them in mombasa it will be easy for them and talking of of that you see uh, a person will not meet a child online today say on facebook or on twitter and ask them to come and meet them in mombasa it will start with the grooming which is actually a form of uh, child sexual exploitation just like margaret was explaining in uh, at this level of grooming if actually you were to come across that conversation you will think that nothing and uh, nothing is there because the perpetrator will hide their intentions at this level they will not even mention anything sexual they will not mention anything about you know meeting it will just be a, a conversation that seems like uh, this person just cares about this child so it's like i mean now what's your name where do you come from what, what do you like because this person is trying to learn this child they are trying to learn their their interest they want to know whether there is someone who monitors this child 
They want to know is if there is someone that this child can report to. And it is at this level then they will that they will be able now to know if this child, it's possible for me now to ask this child to come and meet me. So this is the level that we call the trust building, you know, level of exploitation. It has not even moved to other forms that we call maybe sexting and sharing of uh, naked pictures. It is still at the level of building trust and the relationship with the, with the child. And I there was a, you, you had asked the question of what makes children vulnerable to even uh, trafficking. And one of them is is that after this level of trust building, the second level that we we, we call uh, sexting which now they've already, they are now used to each other. They will even start sharing secrets. Some of the secrets they share are even secrets like, uh, you know, naked pictures. Let me not use even the term sharing because it has the connotation that the child is consenting. Let me just use that this person is making the child share their naked photos and, and maybe videos because definitely they're using manipulation and coercing to make a child feel like uh, it's okay to share their naked pictures. So if uh, if then... This person has managed to make a child share their naked videos and naked pictures. Then they can use that against this child. That if you don't come and meet me, say in Kilifi, then I think I'm going to share your videos. I'm going to send them to your parents. I'm going to share to to share them with your class teacher. So it also becomes a factor that a child will because of fear and that blackmail, which is also another form of sexual exploitation that we call sextortion. The child will now feel like the only way to to protect my identity is to just meet this person. So 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 those are some of the factors that I feel also. Well, they they are in OCSE, but they also make children vulnerable to child trafficking. Well, I wanted to to add another factor that maybe I felt we had not we had not included, and this is a factor of social isolation. You see, when a child doesn't have anyone they can tell their secrets. I will. I will also wish to link that uh, that that uh, that factor of social isolation with with another aspect of self-esteem issues. A child who is socially isolated and has self-esteem issues, then they will be going to the online platforms to seek validation. So if then they meet a perpetrator who is who will take advantage of that and give them what the thing that they've been looking for that is validation and make them you know elevate their selves their their, their sense of self worth. Then this child will develop trust and they will be they will fall victims of being abused by this perpetrator who is taking advantage of the self-esteem of this child and the fact that they are socially isolated and they cannot tell anyone their problems. Meaning by the time they're even asking them to meet them, chances are no one will even know that the child left maybe Nairobi to Kisumu until like after three, four days when the case will be reported as a case of a missing child and no one knows. Because the only person that this child trusts is the online perpetrator. Thank you, John. Just going back again to the relation between online child abuse and child sex trafficking. So I was speaking to one of your officers not too long ago. One of the examples that I was given was with truck drivers, so drivers who maybe move goods from the ports or to other parts of the country. So maybe the online abuse started from an online perspective but has now developed to physical and has now become a case of child sex trafficking. I'm going to move back to Tim and ask you, Tim, with your work on the ground in coast and probably other regions in Kenya, how exactly does child sex trafficking occur? If you could paint a picture for us. Right, thanks, Jambi. I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, the whole conundrum of what child sex trafficking is from the purview of the law, 
is one, from the process of trafficking the child to the eventual uh, sexual exploitation of uh, the child, which is the act. So when you look at the cases that are even in court today, you would find that there are several limbs to it. You would find that there are several accused persons. The first accused person is one, the person who transported this child from wherever they were coming from to the place of exploitation. Number two, you'd find the person that who harbored uh, this child at a place of the exploitation or at a place waiting to be exploited sexually. That is also a person who is of interest to the law. And then number three is the actual perpetrator. In the examples I think that we've, we've seen here, most of the cases that you'd find, the eventual perpetrator of uh, the sex trafficking is usually more or less never really found. And I'll use an example. You find that a child is moved from a place like Kisumu. I think I'll use the example that John used. A child is trafficked from a place like Kisumu, brought to Mombasa for purposes of uh, business inside a brothel. In essence, they may not be able to identify a perpetrator, a single-handed perpetrator, because they've been subjected to so much exploitation by several people and so many different people that it becomes for it becomes difficult for them to identify who exactly it is that brought them here but they're able to identify number one the owner of the brother the issue of uh, child sex trafficking and i think i like what john says it begins from um especially with this age of uh, the internet it begins from that point where there's luring of these children into a space where they can be able to be vulnerable and therefore submit to exploitation in any way. So it begins from there. It's an online conversation. An online conversation moves to let's meet on this date. That meeting on this date becomes, I'll send you fare to come to this place on a certain date, or alternatively, I'll send somebody to come and pick you. Then it moves from there. It becomes they're actually being picked, and then we move from one location to the other. And eventually, they become trapped and slaves into this, into this space to the point that it stops being a problem for them. And now see this, they now see it as normal because it, it becomes normal for them after a while. And what happens is, one, they either get into the depression that they, they, they no longer value themselves as children, or you find that the people who, are, who went into it first, and I think we've dealt with this several times, the people who went into this first are the people now who are recruiting other girls or other children into this space. It becomes very sad because at that level, when you're dealing with, for example, the legal issues surrounding that, you're left in a place where you really don't know whether this girl is really a victim, according to the law, of which she is because she was in the place of abuse, or a perpetrator in the sense that she's also a recruiter of other young girls to this program or to this, to this kind of work that is being done. Right. So then it becomes a continuous chain, just Correct. like you said. Yes. Uh, and Margaret, I'll ask you maybe to pick up where Tim left off. So what are the implications, mental implications on a child who's now a survivor of child sex trafficking? What does that look like for them? Because this is a traumatic experience. And the thing about trauma experiences for children, especially those uh, below uh, the age of 10 or those around 12, is imprinted in their brain and later on in life these are the children who are more at risk of uh, suicide they are more at risk of um, other behavioral issues uh, such as substance use so we are more likely to see these children with anxiety of course this as a trauma experience they are more likely to manifest the ptsd the post-traumatic uh, stress disorder 
we are more likely to see children who are highly suicidal because then their interpretation of uh, what has happened to them is number one that it's shameful because the uh, culturally we don't talk about sex and we don't talk, talk about sexual issues with our children and then of course the other impact is that uh, then they grow to be people to be children and later young adults and adults who have a very high sense of insecure because remember if uh, the person who picked them and uh, who was part of the trafficking uh, uh, process is someone who groomed the child then it cuts out as uh, who can i trust i trusted that person and look what has happened to me the other thing again because of the perception of the sex and the, the sex aspect you're more likely to see them again engage in uh, obsessive compulsive uh, disorders or behaviors and specifically uh washing or cleansing ritual because then sex is dirty that's the image um the number of people who have had sex with this child so then they are feeling very dirty and they just want to keep on cleaning themselves and cleaning themselves and you know they just never get to experience this sense of being clean and one of the other major impact impact is the loss of the social connection with their peers as they are taken hostage of wherever they are they don't have a connection with their family they don't have connection with their peers of course then they are more likely to miss out in education then of course because of the intimidation and sometimes the torture that comes with it then these children are also likely to be you know physically they have been beaten or they have also been deprived of medical care and then the harsh physical conditions that they are in they are not sleeping they probably are not eating well and then of course the disconnection with their family members so we we are looking at children who later in their adult life have a lot of pain psychological pain they are very angry um individuals and there'll be individuals who are struggling and they resort to alcohol drugs and other substances as a way of trying to numb their psychological pain from the childhood experiences. That was very powerful. And um, I remember sitting through that particular recording. One of the things that stuck to me was the fact that this is a chain, right? Especially when we're looking at it starting from an online perspective. So you have online child abuse. It then becomes possibly sex exploitation. Then it becomes child sex trafficking if this child is moving from one place to another. And the fact that at each particular point of this happening, there are so many different crimes that are being committed against this one child was extremely sad to me and i don't know how you guys are feeling about that yeah i mean just the realization you know that this isn't something that just happens yeah there's a whole long you know chain like you call it and all these people that are involved and it can actually go from start to finish without any kind of alarm or anyone noticing it's it's bizarre 
and it's actually more of a circle than just a chain especially mm-hmm. because you can have then this child reintroducing other Others, children yeah. into it or then as far as you know wakilisha is concerned with children in conflict to the mm-hmm. law you then have children who are victims of this kind of abuse or exploitation then finding themselves in conflict to the yeah. law yeah. Mm-hmm. because they are now either recruiters or they are perpetrators mm-hmm. themselves or they have even gone into other various forms of crime in hindsight uh just listening to to our guest uh it's got me thinking like back when i was a young kid i was a victim of grooming so to say from someone who was so close to me and just thinking about it because the the guy is like a close cousin to my dad so he will come and tell me like oh let me go buy you this and i'm innocent yeah so this time uh kanyambia i don't know we go and take something from his house i'm just i mean i'm innocent so me yeah. water so he said like bluntly like nionjeshe so i was like ah what oh goodness even so bad i was like no i have to go i'm running late so later on though just listening to it got me thinking that like i was a victim like you know yeah. and it's so sad because yeah. i never even confi- con- confident into like my parent or you know yeah because it sounded very normal yeah. at the time yeah yeah and like we've seen children are vulnerable mm-hmm. right because that's all it takes it just mm-hmm. takes sh- someone showing you that you can trust me and yeah. then from there then it's a process and um zp thank you so much you know for your vulnerability yeah. also here and sharing your story mm-hmm. and there's lots of people out there not just children who don't know but also guardians who don't understand yes. that your child could be being groomed mm-hmm. right so what are the solutions what do you do for instance if you've noticed your child your sibling your neighbor possibly could be a victim of child abuse child exploitation or child sex trafficking um so that takes us to the next segment and we'll be listening to what our guests had to say with regards to the solutions towards solutions team has been given us a very good example you have this person who's now an adult or an older child or a teenager who yes was a victim but has now also become a perpetrator what kind of psychological support should we be giving them for those who have already gone through it then these are the children who need therapy and therapy here we are talking about them meeting with a professional a professional who can help children who understands what it is to work with children because therapy for children is different from what you do with the adults then even as we are talking about helping these children and i know elizabeth you asked about psychologically we will not help them if we don't address all their other needs what are the other needs there is education because other children have been in school how do we ensure that they still receive or they still access their right to education then the other important form of intervention that we all must think about is when this child is rescued what is the process of reintegrating them are we sending them back to their family and back to their community or is this a child now that we are going to classify as a child in need of care and protection and we probably need to get them into a children's home or an institution of care and protection and even if we do everything psychologically but we are still not looking at holistic care 
then that child will still be a vulnerable child. That's very powerful. So perhaps we have someone who's listening in and they're thinking, I think I've witnessed a case of child sex trafficking or I know a child who's being abused or possibly, you know, I've talked to a sibling, a cousin. I think the things that they're doing online could amount to online child abuse or could lead to child sex trafficking. John, they might want to call the hotline 116. So maybe tell us how does this hotline prevent child sex trafficking? Thank you, Jambi. Uh, if someone maybe, uh, like you were saying, we were talking about monitoring. Someone is monitoring the activities of their children and maybe they notice that this child is uh, chatting with uh, a stranger and from the conversation, I'm from the chats, uh, there is something that uh, is just suspicious. Like this person is asking for the photos of this child. And uh, maybe this person doesn't know now where to report. Now, that's where the helpline comes in. Because if such cases now are reported to us, we'll definitely, of course, link up with the with the reporter or we'll request that we be linked up with, the, with this child. And then, because this is a child who, because we don't know the extent to which this online abuse have gone, maybe they could even have met and maybe what the, the reporter found were only chats. Maybe there, there could have been even other chats that had been deleted. Now, we as Chadley Helpline now, we will re, receive that case. And then I had talked of linking uh, the victims with the law enforcement agencies. The unit is able to retrieve chats that have been deleted and conversations that have been deleted. And they are able now to investigate uh, well if there was abuse that actually took place. So that is for the part of linking the child with the with the law enforcement agencies. On our side now, we'll also be offering now counseling support to this child because we want them to understand that uh, this has been, this is what has been happening because one of the reasons why children get abused on the online platforms is because they are ignorant of the online dangers that exist there. And if abuse happened, then you need to understand that it was not your fault because children really blame themselves. So we also take time to educate the parents to understand their child is being exploited. So that is now what we'll be doing. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely go, we'll request to be linked with that child as part of uh, trying to assess the needs uh, that this child has, whether it's a case that just needs counseling, whether it's a case that needs the intervention of the law enforcement agencies, besides uh, counseling support. We do offer legal support to children victims of uh, online abuse and also child trafficking. We actually have a legal officer who follows these cases in court. I like the aspect of counseling both the child and the guardian or parent. I think that's very important. I have just one final question for Tim. What are the legal gaps as far as preventing child sex trafficking is concerned or as far as protecting children against this form of abuse is concerned? All right. Thank you very much. I don't think there are any legal gaps per se. What I'd say is a challenge in terms of the legal system is probably two things. Number one, the referral pathways that are existing in terms of channeling these cases through the criminal justice system. I think for the child to attain what you call restoration, then there has to be some form of closure in terms of if they were a victim, have they been able to get justice? And this is what we do at IJM as it is currently constituted. What we do is take these cases through the criminal justice system and ensure that the victims who are these children are able to get justice in the sense that the perpetrators who are actually arrested or taken through the criminal justice system by the law enforcement agencies actually found guilty, if at all they were guilty, and eventually they serve their sentence, whichever that the, the case might be. 
the gap in terms of referral pathways is it stops at a certain end. It stops at a certain point. It needs to continue on to the full full throttle for it to be able to make sense. And then for it to complete the cycle of full restoration of the victim. That would be the first point of view. And then the second thing would be, you'd find that, for example, the space that we as IJM work in, which is commercial sexual exploitation of children, which is a component of child sex trafficking, under the law, there is no real definition or there is no express provision under which the offense of commercial sexual exploitation of children is brought under. And you'll find that most prosecutors or most law enforcement agencies would prefer charging a perpetrator of sex trafficking or any other form with a charge of defilement or any other charge under the Sexual Offences Act as opposed to the Counter-Trafficking Persons Act. And why is this so? The sentencing or rather the punishment that is under the Sexual Offences Act as opposed to the Counter-Trafficking Persons Act is actually higher. So they prefer going this other way as opposed to going through uh, the motions of a sex trafficking. That's why you'll find, even when you're trying to get in information about are these cases really in the system, how are they being processed in the system, you'll find it's very difficult because when you go through court and you look at the files and you try and understand what is the prevalence of this, you'll find that, in essence, very few perpetrators are, perpetrators are charged under the Counter-Trafficking Act. The quick solution, or rather a solution to what uh, might be the perceived problem especially when dealing with the criminal justice system, would be, number one, sensitizing the public. And I think this will be a rallying call to my colleague so that we can collaboratively work together to ensure that this problem of child sex trafficking, in whatever form, is actually reduced in its prevalence. I think that's a great takeaway. There's need for collaboration. Just on this vehicle, we have uh, Wakilisha, we have IJM, we have SPA, we have Childline Kenya, we have HEAL. Imagine the kind of networks we would be able to create with even other organizations that we are already working with. So that's a very great takeaway for me. These are conversations that should be ongoing, that we should carry forward, not just in our workspaces, but in our homes. And one of the things that Tim said in the beginning was that this happens because of the culture. So if our culture includes seeing this as a taboo topic not to be discussed, then again, we're not helping our children. So let us collaborate and let us keep discussing this. Let us instill change in our various small spaces and we will eventually make the world a better place. So as we close, I just, I'll give you 30 seconds each <laughs> to close. So Timothy, 30 seconds. Thank you. My part in short is this. As you've mentioned, Elizabeth, child sex trafficking in whatever form it, it manifests in itself is something that needs to be talked about. It's a conversation that needs to be in every space where children are involved. And not just for us as the people who are working in this area, but even for the children themselves. I think I've repeatedly been told um, that the solutions that are going to come are come from these children. It's important that we involve our children in these processes. That is the first thing. Number two, as you mentioned, collaboration. We as organizations working in this space need to have a collaborative approach towards ending this violence. Number three, sessions such as this are very important. And I think I'd like to thank Wakidisha, Hill and all the people who are involved, uh, in Kenya and SPA, when we come together and speak about these things and share this content outside there for people to understand that we are demystifying, what is this child sex trafficking around? Are we able to coin around this conversation to solutions oriented or is it just us speaking about it and not really finding a solution to it? So those would be my takeaway and I think my 30 seconds are gone. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Akili. Ms. Jehia? 
for me my parting shot is that child sex trafficking in whatever form whichever way is a form of childhood trauma children need to feel safe and they need to feel secure wherever they are whoever they are with if only we see ourselves as the adults in their lives as people who are called to safeguard our children and if we take up our space and if we use our voice to be child protectors if we do that then we will not have cases of children with childhood trauma experiences thank you thank you so much ms njehia and last but not least john thank you jambi here i'm seeing a great opportunity of uh, interacting or rather partnering with all the partners who are available and are present here today i believe we'll be able to come out with a come up with a strategy of how we can partner course for the best interest of the child thank you once again for this great opportunity thank you john and yes i do agree this is a great opportunity to partner elizabeth before you drop the call just to make that call that children uh, with trauma experiences one of the ways that we can help them is uh, to make access to therapy affordable and available for the children and to everyone who is listening to just challenge ourselves to stop reading the statistics but to start changing the statistics because we are the change that we want to be this could be the generation that says it's enough thank you oh i love that stop reading the statistics and start changing the statistics that that's powerful and now i'll ask my partner who's representing hill morgan kindly also give us your parting shot amazing uh thank you liz this was a very powerful eye opening and actually very insightful conversation so i really thank our experts and partners today at least i've got a very clear picture just like you said for a conversation that's quite uncanny and in our cultural setup does not get much attention i believe my parting shot would be we collaborate we join hands as timothy shared as well as john in line with what uh, margaret has brought out let's innovate let's see how we can come up with solutions outside what we already have and let's be the change that we want to see thank you very much thanks for taking your time we really 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 appreciate it and for you out there who who's been listening I hope you've learned something new and I hope you've been challenged to not read the statistics but to change the statistics. Asante sana. And this was such a powerful session and being a victim of grooming it got me thinking like how can we really as parents, guardians or even as siblings in listening or just paying attention towards our younger ones have to say like who they are interacting with i'm glad we had this conversation it was such an eye opener yeah i mean this has been a great episode and sadly we have to you know close but we're obviously going to have more conversations like this in future episodes but of course uh huge thanks to our guests uh Timothy from IJM Miss Margaret who I hope you guys remember from a previous episode that we did from SPA and John Gotti from Chadland Kenya if you happen to witness child abuse if you witnessed it in the past if you're still witnessing it right now Chadland Kenya have a hotline 
and it's free. You can call 116 and report any kind of abuse that you witness. It's 116. It's a toll-free number. You don't have to worry about paying anything. Other than that, please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We are Wakilisha Podcast, literally everywhere you find podcasts. Our socials, please make sure you follow us on Twitter. We are at Wakili underscore Shah. On Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and TikTok, we are at wakili.shah. And of course, we have a lovely website that would love for you to pay a visit to sometime. It's wakilisha.org, www.wakilisha.org. Thank you, guys, and see you soon. Thank you, guys, thank you. and thank you so much to our partners. Hill, please check out their podcast as well. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.